So guys, I grew up in a middle-class home with parents that absolutely loved me. I never questioned their love. And, and yet I had a father with a whole lot of unresolved anger. I never quite knew what was going to cause him to blow up or to get angry. It could be anything from a, a teenager driving down our street too fast, and he'd jump up from his recliner going out shouting and cursing and swearing at him. Or it could be at, at night, he's trying to sleep and we have the television too loud, and he comes barreling out of his room cursing and swearing and yelling at us. Whatever it was, whenever it happened, things got loud, and the expletives began to fly. These outbursts of anger created all kinds of different emotions in me as a child. Everything from fear to embarrassment to making me angry over his anger. On one occasion, I think I was about 11 years old, and uh, we were going somewhere. He was driving. I was shotgun. And, uh, he, something caught his attention, and he didn't notice the car in front of him stopped, and so he rear-ended this car. His first response was to turn to me and start shouting and screaming and cursing me because I didn't tell him to stop. Something had obviously happened in my father's life long before he got in the car that day. I don't mean minutes or hours before, I mean years before. There had to be some injustice in his life that was totally unrelated to that fender bender, some hurt or offense that never got resolved, and so it left him responding to every perceived injustice with anger. And after a while, that anger became so much a part of his life that he didn't even notice the damage it was doing to the people that he loved the most. Now, fortunately for me, the story ends on a much happier note because in my teenage years, my dad stepped across the line of faith and made Christ his Savior and Lord, and it radically changed him. He went out of his way to making sure that I knew he loved me, to make sure that I knew that he was proud of me. And he got very involved in serving God in the church. And yet at the same time, I'm not trying to tell you that he never got angry again. Because guys like all of us, there were things that upset him. But I do believe he broke the habit of responding to every difficult circumstance with anger. I wrote a book that Travis just talked about called Creatures of Habit, Breaking the Habits, Holding You Back from God's Best. And what I discovered as I was doing research for this book is that most of us greatly underestimate the power that habits have in our life. In fact, you read about it everywhere today. Everybody's discovering it, not just in the church world, but in the secular world as well. Everybody's talking about habits. In fact, did you know that over 40% of everything you do during a day is done out of habit? Second nature. You don't even give it a thought. It could be anywhere from playing a musical instrument to typing on your computer to driving home from work. You can be doing other things and drive home and not even remember the trip home. Those habits then become uh, our identity. Now, a habit, what is a habit? A habit is a simple choice that we make that when it's repeated enough times, it becomes an unconscious pattern. I want you to remember that. I'll refer back to it in just a minute. When repeated enough times, it becomes an unconscious pattern. And again, those habits then become our identity. In other words, we become known for our habits, good or bad. Let me give you an example. Let's say that uh, you are a truthful person, but you tend to complain just a little bit. And somebody asks me to tell me about this person. And I say, oh my gosh, she is as honest as the day is long. You can trust her with anything. She's always truthful. At the same time, she tends to complain just a little bit. What have I just done? I've just described you by your habits. 
We become known by our habits, good or bad. And that's why it's so important, guys, that we create good habits in our life. You say, but Steve, how in the world do I know if it's a good habit or a bad habit? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Good habits reinforce your desire to be like Christ. Good habits reinforce your desire to be Christ-like. The Bible has a word for that. The Bible calls it spiritual disciplines. And those actually become stepping stones in our life. In other words, they help us to grow. They help us to take on the nature and characteristics of Christ. On the other hand, bad habits are the things that conflict with us becoming Christ-like. Those are the things that keep us from taking on his nature. And they're certainly not stepping stones. If anything, they become tombstones. They become a death to what God's trying to do in your life. Now, the Bible doesn't call those spiritual disciplines. The Bible calls those spiritual strongholds because they get a hold on you. They get a grip on you. But I also found when I was researching for this book as I was surprised by how much the Bible actually does talk about habits. May not refer to it with that word, but it's referring to the same thing. For instance, one of my favorite verses on this, you guys have been using it through this series, is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, do not conform. What does it mean to conform? It means to take the shape. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. What did we say a habit was? A habit is an unconscious pattern. So Paul is basically saying there, listen, don't conform to the patterns, to the habits of this world. But instead, what should we do? We need to be transformed. We need to be changed. How do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. A habit becomes a mindset. And so how do we get rid of a mindset? We have to renew our mind. We have to break the old habit by replacing it with a good habit. Let me explain it this way. Before you were a Christian, before you were a believer, sin had a grip on you. Sin had a hold on you. But then when you step across the line of faith, you invite Jesus Christ into your life, what happens? Well, the Bible tells us that that grip of sin is broken. Romans tells us, the Bible, or the book of Romans tells us that God's given us the power to say no to sin. And yet I have Christians all the time that'll say, well, Steve, I've been a believer now for five years. I've been a believer for 40 years, and I still feel stuck. What's the problem? The problem is you haven't done anything to break those bad habits in your life. You didn't get there overnight, and you're not going to get rid of them overnight. So just because you pray a prayer and invite Christ into your life, you still have to be intentional. You still have to determine, look, I don't want those characteristics in my life anymore, so I'm going to break those bad habits in my life. Now, guys, I'm really biased, but I think this book will help you a lot. <laughs> it's a life changer. <laughs> Seriously, the reason I do is because it's almost like a workbook. And in this, I've got 12 bad habits that I uh, write about. And people say, well, how'd you come up with those 12 habits? And I literally made a list of 50 uh, bad habits. And I looked at them and said, which ones do I want to write about? And I picked out the 12 that I've personally struggled with. I thought, boy, if anybody knows how to deal with these, I do. I've struggled with them to one degree or another. So those are the 12 that I picked out. Obviously, there's more than those 12. Now, um, some of you say, well, Steve, I just don't like to read. And my response would be, really? But anyway, <laughs> um, 
I would encourage you, if you don't want to read the whole book, listen to me. Go through the contents and say, okay, these are two habits that I struggle with. And just read those chapters and work those steps. Every chapter has steps at the end of it that you need to take that will help you to break that habit. So let's say it's lying. Work that chapter. Work those steps. Anger. Work that chapter. Work those steps. And then you say, okay, I broke the habit. And a year from now, you feel like it starts to come back. Just go back and work the habits again. It's great for small groups. It's great for men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. I would just encourage you. It's 12. Uh, the topics are great conversation starters. People love to get into this and talk about it. I'd love to meet you afterwards, and I'd be glad to sign the book if you're interested in that. But today, guys, I want to talk about the habit of anger. But at first, I think it's important to mention that anger, guys, it's not always a bad thing. In fact, anger, if you think about it, anger is a God-given emotion. It's when it becomes a habit or the way we automatically respond to things, that's when it becomes a problem in our life. So what happens, obviously, is like maybe you say something to offend me, and it makes me mad, and so I just rip on you. I just tell you off. And I walk away, and I thought, that felt good. And then tomorrow... You say something to offend me, and I remember how good it felt, and so I rip on you. That felt good. And before you know it, I find myself responding to every circumstance or situation just second nature, just out of habit of anger in my life. And so um, it's a God, but it's a God-given emotion. All of us know, guys, listen, all of us know of people in our lives that are just angry people, right? I mean, you may be sitting by them. It may be your best friend. It may be a spouse. It may be a parent. It may be a child. But every one of, if I, if I talk to you, you'd say, yeah, I know. he is an angry individual. He's an angry person because they've created a habit in our life. So again, anger was designed to help us deal with any threat that might come into our life. But it becomes a problem when you lose control of your words or your actions. For instance, we all know Jesus got angry. If you've read the scriptures, you remember when he ran the money changers out of the temple, the merchants were turning religion into a money-making scam, and it ticked him off. It angered him. I think there's other things that make Jesus angry. Any kind of injustice angers God. I think it angers God to see an adult harm a child. And yet, even though Jesus got angry, what does the scripture tell us? The scripture says he never sinned. Jesus got angry, but he never sinned. The type of anger that Jesus demonstrated was more of a righteous indignation. He got angry at those that acted contrary to God's standard of right or wrong, to his standard of fairness, justice, and goodness. This type of anger, this type of anger is directed more at the wrong that is done and not so much the person involved. In fact, it's this kind of anger that's produced great movements in our country. For instance, MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Their anger over the loss of their children motivated them to do something about it by starting one of the largest victim advocate groups in America today. On the other hand, anger is an emotion that many of us experience when the things in our world just aren't going the way we want them to. Maybe you've been working towards a promotion and it goes to somebody else and that just ticks you off. Maybe you tell your kids to clean their room and they ignore you and that just makes you so mad. Again, if anger becomes your immediate response every time you don't like something, then you're going to establish a habit of anger in your life. And it has the potential, friends, listen to me, it has the potential to hurt your health, 
to wreck your peace of mind, to destroy your relationships, and to even threaten your career. As a kid growing up, I cannot tell you how many jobs my father went through. Seriously, I don't know. It was over a dozen, I'm sure. I remember him constantly coming home, telling my mom that he'd been fired from another job, let go from another job because he got mad. He had got angry. Years ago, I brought in a psychologist and author, Richard Dobbins, not Dobson, but Dobbins, and I had him speak to a men's conference, a men's group. We had a room full of men, and I remember him. He walked up on the platform, and the first thing he said is he said, gentlemen, men struggle with three issues, sexual issues, anger issues, and you lie about the first two. Anger has become an epidemic in America today. I mean, come on, you see signs of our nation's irritability everywhere you go. The polarization of our political system, the everyday nastiness of the online world, the cancel culture since COVID is over the top. Or even worse yet, what about the workplace or school shootings? It's gotten so bad you're afraid to lock eyes with anyone in fear they might pull out a gun. And yet... Most violence in America today is not random. According to the American SPCC, it says over 4 million child abuse cases are reported every single year. 4 million child abuse cases reported. And I wonder how many millions go unreported. But most of those are by angry, out-of-control parents. Friends, no one is born with anger issues. It's learned behavior. I mean, if I brought a little infant child up here, a month old, and I'm holding this baby, and you say, oh, that's the cutest little baby, and I say, this one's an angry one. <laughs> I mean, you're going to go, no, because we all know you're not born with anger issues. Anger is learned behavior, which is why, parents, listen to me, you need to learn to control your anger in front of your kids. Psychologists today have called our generation the age of rage. It's become so common, we've created our own rage vocabulary. For instance, there's road rage. Many of you have experienced that. There's checkout rage. There's phone rage. There's even recreational activities such as golf rage. Oh, yeah, it's a thing. I was golfing uh, several years ago with three other pastors. There was four of us, and... This one, one guy, was just, he was just not having a good day. It's usually me, but he was just not having a good day. And he, he hooked this one, and it went into the pond, and he lost it. And he took his club and swung it over his head and threw it into the pond. Then he goes over and gets in the cart and drives off. Awkward. And then, <laughs> and then we, uh, we all played the next two holes, and nobody's talking. I mean, it's quiet, you know. And then finally, two holes later, he gets in the, into the cart and he goes, I'll be back. And he drives back to that pond. He wades out into that murky water. It's up to here. And he comes out with his club, comes back, and we play out the rest of the day. And he's soaked from here down. Proverbs 14, 29 says, people with understanding control their anger. But a hot temper, it shows great foolishness. Some of you might push back right now, and you might argue with me and say, Steve, I just can't control my anger. And I'm going to push back and say, well, you might not be able to control the situation, and you might not be able to control how it makes you feel. I'll promise you that you can control how you express your anger. 
reminds me, it's said to be a true story. I'll leave it to you whether you believe it is or not. I don't know. But I read about it several years ago about a passion play, outdoor passion play, where they would act it out in the city and the community and the audience was along the streets. And so this guy was playing the part of Jesus and he's walking up to what's supposed to be the Via Della Rosa and he's walking up carrying the cross. And that particular day there was a heckler and this guy was rude and obnoxious and he's following along with Jesus and yelling out stuff to him. And finally, this guy playing Jesus stops and he sets down the cross and he goes over to this guy and he punches him in the face. <laughs> then he walks back over and he picks up his cross and he starts going again. Well, you can imagine the director afterwards, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I know that guy was obnoxious and rude, but he said, I can't have my, I can't have my actors assaulting the audience, especially the one playing Jesus. He's like, oh my gosh, man, I'm so sorry. I just lost it. It'll never happen again. He said, it better never happen again. He said, it won't. So day two, same scenario, same scene. Guy's more obnoxious today than he was the day before. Jesus finally can't take it anymore. Sets down the cross, goes over and hits him in the nose, goes back, picks up the cross, and on he goes. The director comes up and he goes, you're fired. You're done. He said, oh my gosh, man, if you fire me, no one will ever hire me again. I'm serious. I'll never act again. He goes, you've got to give me one more chance. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. But if you do it again, I'll promise you you'll never work in this town again. I'll make sure that no one ever hires you to do an acting job. And if you do it again, don't even come looking for me. Just get your things and leave. I promise. So he's out day three. Guy's back, more obnoxious and rude. Poor Jesus carrying his cross. And he's grinding his teeth. He's clenching his fist. He's doing everything he possibly can. And he just finally stops. And he just stands there. And he finally turns to this guy and he said, I'll meet you after the resurrection. <laughs> Listen, friends, if we don't learn to control our anger, we will never be like Jesus. Now, if you think about it, some of you try to use anger to motivate people to action. You yell at your kids to motivate their behavior. You yell at the sales clerk to motivate her to help you. You yell at your employees to motivate them to work hard. And you know what? It works at least for the short term. You can scare people into doing almost anything, but in the long run, you will always lose because anger always alienates people. I mean, think about it. When someone is in your face screaming and yelling at you, does it endear you to them? Do you just want to reach out and give them a hug? No, I mean, your hand goes up. It's like, get out of my face. I don't care if it's your spouse. I don't care if it's a best friend. I don't care who it is. When someone is in your face screaming and yelling at you, you're not endeared to them. You're pushing them away. You don't want any part of that. If you were a parent, if you were a parent and you're using anger to motivate your kids, I promise you, you're actually pushing them away. Listen to me. When your kids were young, they thought you were a superhero. Everyone else that might know you thinks you're a bit quirky, maybe a bit odd. Not your kids. Not your kids. They think you could do no wrong. There's, their spirits are literally wide open to you. You know, you, but the more you yell at them, the more you scream at them, their spirit will begin to close. And it'll keep closing and it'll keep closing until it's finally closed. They are obligated. They obviously need a roof over their head. They'll stay but their spirits are closed down to you. 
What do we do? We want to come back and say, well, you know, it's kids today. That's just the way kids are. It's a generation gap or whatever you want to call it. It's not a generation gap, and it's not just kids today. You have closed down their spirits with your anger. I don't care how great your intentions were, you have closed down their spirits. If you, Paul talks about the danger of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, when he writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Listen, friends, if you struggle with the habit of anger, you may feel like there's nothing you can do, but you have more control over your anger than you think you do. You can learn to express your emotions without losing control. So today, in the time that we've got left, I want to give you a few steps to use to break this habit in your life. But guys, can I just say this? If you take this book and you read the chapter on anger, and then you work the steps, and then you say, Steve, it didn't work. It didn't work. I tried, but it didn't work. I still have an issue with anger. Please hear me. You need to get professional help. I'm serious. You need to get a counselor that specializes in anger because if you don't, you're going to come to the end of your life with all kinds of regrets. You're going to come to the end of your life and not only have your kids closed their spirits, but everyone in your life has closed down their spirits to you. They may not even be there. They may be gone by that time. But if they are at your deathbed, if they are at your bedside, many of them are there out of obligation because you closed their spirits a long time ago. So I'm telling you, it's critical that you deal with this anger in your life. You say, Steve, I'm, you know, I'm an old man now. I'm an old woman now. I've been, I'm 80 years old. It's too late for me. It is never too late for you. Never too late for you. If you go to, to your kids, if you go to your spouse and say, you know what, I have been wrong all these years, and I have hurt you all these years with my anger, and I want you to know that I acknowledge it, and that I'm going to get help. I'm going to break this once and for all. That will go so far with family members that you'll take the initiative and you'll take the steps to do it. But I think these steps will help most of us, and so I would encourage you to try the steps first. Let me just say, we often try to excuse our behavior by blaming other people for our anger. We'll say things like, you know, it's those kids of mine that make me so mad. It's my coworkers that make me angry. Steve, if she wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have lost my temper. Listen, before you ever break this habit of anger, you have to take responsibility. You have to own it. I already told you, I've struggled with all 12 of these. So I own it. And so because I took the first step that I owned it, I acknowledged it, then I was able to take the rest of the steps to deal with it in my life. So step one in every chapter is own it, acknowledge it. So let me give you some steps you can take to break this habit of anger quickly. Number one, identify the source of your anger. Guys, if you have the habit of losing control over every perceived injustice, then you need to figure out what's behind your anger. Because anger is rarely the primary problem. In other words, it's usually the result of a much deeper problem such as pride, hurt, insecurity, embarrassment. But once I understand what's behind my anger, then I'm more likely to resolve it. For example, physical or emotional pain. When I was in my 30s, I went through a season of my life uh, with unexplained pain, joint pain and muscle pain. Went to all kinds of doctors, and doctors were saying fibromyalgia. They're calling it everything you can imagine. I think today it was stress in my life, but regardless what it was, I found because of this physical pain I was going through, I was impatient with the people I loved the most. 
I found I was losing my temper. I had a short fuse with the people I loved the most. The same thing is true with emotional pain. Somebody breaks your heart, you'll find yourself getting angry quicker. These are all common causes of anger. I'm just saying, guys, if you can identify the source of your anger, you're more likely to understand what you need to do to deal with it. Number two, learn to calm down before you react. When you start to feel those emotions of anger rise up, and here's the advantage of this habit of anger. It's the one emotion we can feel. It's the one emotion that starts in our belly, it starts in our gut, and it just starts going up, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about. And you, you feel it, the anger rising. Boy, that's a, that's a warning signal for you to take some steps. So when you start to feel that anger start to rise, that's time for you to excuse yourself. That's time for you to step out of a meeting. That's time for you to step out of an argument with a spouse or with, a, with your kids to say, can we just pick this up a little bit later? I really need to go and calm down. Tell them. I just need to calm down a little bit. And then walk away, collect your thoughts. Self-talk can be so very effective. Is it really worth getting this upset over? Is my anger really going to solve anything? Proverbs 29 says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. In other words, think before you speak. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in motion. I heard it said, I've never regretted silence, but I've often regretted what I spoke. I love the book of James. It's one of my favorite books because James is just so blunt. He just says it the way it is. And in chapter one, he says, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Number three, get some exercise. I know that feels like it's off in left field, but get some exercise because seriously, it does help. It helps to take a walk. It helps to go to the gym. Whatever you need to do to reduce your anger stress level. I was talking to my mechanic here about three, four weeks ago. I took my car in. And I knew that he was getting a divorce. And I saw his wedding ring back on. And I said, did you guys work it out? And he goes, oh, you noticed the ring? I said, yeah. And he said, we did. And I said, well, how'd you work it out? And he said, well, I had anger issues. And he said, I started, uh, one thing I started doing was riding my bike. And he said, I just go out for a long. And I said, it calms me down. I come back and we're more able to discuss it. And it's like, right on. Because what happens, experts say that exercise helps to increase the release of endorphins in your body, which helps to reduce your stress level. Number four, let go of my anger correctly. Guys, there's a lot could be said about this, but just decide you're not going to handle your anger in inappropriate ways. For instance, don't try to repress it. Now, I'm speaking to a room full of Christians, and we oftentimes think that's what we're supposed to do. As Christians, I'm supposed to repress any anger that comes along. No, that's the wrong thing to do. Don't repress your anger because, friends, anger will always find a way to be expressed. Sometimes it's expressed through sarcasm. Some of you think you're pretty witty with your sarcasm, but it's actually coming from repressed anger. Some of you try to manipulate to get your own way. Others of you have a vindictive spirit. You say, I don't get mad, I just get even. Listen, guys, whether you complain, blame, or criticize, people that are negative are usually trying to repress their anger, but anger will always find a way of release. Many years ago, I did a funeral for a young boy, 14 years old, that was struck and killed by lightning. And on the scene, I was asking the police officer about what I saw there and his, um, with his knees, and he said, um, well, Whenever you're electrocuted or whenever you're struck by lightning, that electricity has to come out of your body somewhere. 
And in his case, it blew out his knees. And I remember thinking, and I've used this illustration for years, that that's the way anger is. That's exactly the way anger is. It has to find a way of release. By the way, let me throw this in. There's another word for repressed anger. You know what that word is? Depression. Depression is frozen rage, repressed anger. And yet on the flip side, guys, you can't just express your anger with violent, abusive reactions or verbal abuse. That's what my dad did and my father did. When you do that, you leave burn marks on everyone in your path. One pastor said, we often act like a skunk. We spray our stinking temper on anyone that gets in our way. Number five, practice forgiveness. Jesus was unjustly beaten and mocked. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed his hands and feet to a wooden cross. Guys, if anyone had a right to be angry, don't you think it was Jesus? And yet, do you remember what he said, how he responded? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you really want to get rid of your anger, you have to make a decision that you're going to forgive this person who's done you wrong. Colossians chapter 3 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Lewis Smedes once said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner is you. And yet forgiveness is a process. It doesn't just happen instantaneously. For instance, I can make a decision that you hurt me. I can make a decision I'm going to forgive you. But then I wake up in the morning and I've picked it all back up again and I'm angry again. So I have to decide I'm going to continue to lay it down. So I forgive again and the next day and the next day. And I keep doing it until eventually I have laid it down once and for all. So forgiveness, again, we can actually create habits. Unforgiveness becomes a bad habit. We just get to a place where I'm not forgiving anybody for hurting me. You're off my list. And forgiveness is a good habit where we make a decision. You know, people are all, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to wrong me, and I make a decision to forgive them. You can forgive that person that's wronged you. Number six, give your anger an expiration date. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't allow a 24-hour period of time to go by without you resolving your anger. Some of you are still carrying anger after years, decades, most of your life, and you still haven't resolved it. You still haven't let it go. Don't let a day pass without resolving your anger. Guys, when you allow angry emotions to accumulate over time like a pressure cooker, it'll eventually explode in destructive and inappropriate ways. Number seven, rely on God's control. Seriously, if you really believe that God has a plan for your life, you'll experience contentment and peace. I, I've got to throw this illustration in. When I shared this with our folks, I brought out two white pillars, and I stood them up here on the platform, and one of them I wrote the word goodness, and on the other one I wrote the word control. So imagine that in your mind. This one, goodness and control. And I said, guys, as long as I stand between these two pillars in my life, that I believe that God is a good God that loves me and wants the best for me. And I believe that God is in control. He's still on the throne today. Regardless what things look like, he's got my back. As long as I believe that to be true and stand here, peace that, the peace that passes with all understanding is going to begin to rise. Fear, worry, and anger is going to begin to go down. But when I step outside of it, and I say, well, yeah, I believe God's a good God. He loves me. But I don't know if he's got my back or not. This, this world's in chaos. What's going to happen? Peace is going to go down. Anger, fear, and worry are going to come up. 
Or I believe that God's on the throne, but I've made a lot of mistakes, and so I don't know if he loves me. Peace is gonna go down. Uh, fear, worry, and anger is gonna go up. So you have to be the one that makes the decision. I trust him. I trust him because he loves me. I trust him because I know he's on the throne and he has my back. Maybe, guys, maybe you didn't get the home. Maybe you put a bid in on a home and you didn't get it. It went to somebody else. And you want to get angry, but then you realize, you know what? God loves me. He's still on the throne. He has my back. He has a plan for my life. I may not fully understand what he's doing, but I trust him. So there's no reason for me to get upset. Anger is not something you can prevent, but as long as you keep it under control and don't allow it to become a habit or a pattern, you'll have more peace and healthier relationships. Would you bow your head with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. Nobody looking around. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you a simple question. How many of you would raise a hand and say, Steve, anger is an issue for me. Would you pray for me? Just raise it up. Be bold. The first step is to own it. Raise it up, and then you can put your hand down once you've raised it. Anyone else? Yeah, all over this room. Well, Father, I just thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness. And I lift up each and every person that raised their hands. And I thank you, God, that you love them and that you've, that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world and that you've given us the power to say no to sin and that you will give them the strength and courage that they need to break this once and for all. And so I pray, Lord, help them to sense your forgiveness, help them to sense your presence and your love. And God, that same thing's true for any habit in anyone's life. May we look to you for the solution. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.